This is Unbroken, healing through storytelling. Just to let you know, we have a vodcast on YouTube where you can watch the edited highlights of the episode. And don't forget to subscribe. If you fancy the full audio version, symbols, just keep listening. Oh, and if you've got a second, please give us five stars and a review. It really helps us stand out and get this important message to even more people that need to hear it the most. Meantime, enjoy today's episode. My guest today is Annika Wiemes. She is Dutch-born and Australian-bred. At the age of 21, she was as about as bold as she could be. She took the step, like a lot of Aussies, to venture to Europe for six months. 20 years later, she finally returned. Broken, but she returned. She survived the Brussels airport bombing in March 2016 and was close enough to feel the bombs, hear the screams. She was able to wipe the tears away from injured people and hold hands with those in pain, feel helpless for those she lost. The wounds this experience had on her mind, heart and soul took a long time to heal. She had to relearn how to live, breathe, eat and sleep. Without the right support, she wouldn't be here today. She wouldn't be able to talk with me right now and share with me the value of heart happy, appreciating the small lights in life that gave space for future hope. And I was a little bit early, so where all the check-in counters are, there was a Starbucks coffee. And in traditional form, there's a coffee bar out the front so you can stand there and drink your coffee. And I can remember taking a snapshot of my coffee cup, which I still have, because a friend of mine was going skiing. So I sent them a picture of my warm coffee cup. And then a few minutes afterwards, the um, first bomb went off. And I have a, a tattoo of a pocket watch on my arm. And he said, well, I suppose it's not our time to die. No, not quite. <laughs> We're going to get through this. He had some banter despite his his wrecked legs. Yeah, and it's those kind of things, you know, and going back to the hard, happy moments, it's those kind of moments that I hang on to that try to get me through it, you know, the, the sleepless nights and even five, six years on, the, the dreams that I have and things like that, it's those moments that I know that I can at least make a difference, you know, for those people. Sometimes it just helps to remind them or remind people that they are good, they deserve to be happy. Don't forget to be proud, enjoy that coffee, enjoy that piece of cake, you know. So welcome Annika to the show. So lovely to have you here. Very powerful bio reading that out. But before we get into your story, the very first question that I ask everybody that comes on the show is what does that word unbroken mean to you? And broken means to me that I will not let it defeat me, whatever it is today, uh, whatever it was in the past, I will always grow from it, learn from it, and it won't, it won't beat me. Because it's interesting you use the word in your bio that, you know, you went back home feeling broken. Absolutely. I was broken for a long time. Um, I just felt like I'd failed, failed work, failed life. Um, my brain didn't want to, part of my brain didn't want to keep up with the other part. I felt uh, defeated. But I can honestly say now, looking back at it, that whilst it was hard work, I didn't let it beat me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here today. But failed by what somebody else did to you and all the other people that were caught up and 30-odd people lost their lives, didn't they? 32 people, I believe. Yeah, no, failed that I couldn't do enough or couldn't do more. Failed um, because afterwards my brain fell apart and I failed at work. 
I felt like I failed at work. I was a director uh, of an IT company and I just didn't know how to function anymore. I didn't have a family um, at the time, so I was pretty much just living in the world of PTSD. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't concentrate at work, mood swings. I wasn't sleeping at all, maybe three hours a night, four hours a night. So I felt like I failed at work and I couldn't hold my ground at work. Um, I was struggling to go to the supermarket, so I felt I failed at life. Um, Yeah, I just felt like I could have done more. And um, I, you know, vividly remember the people that I couldn't help. So Um, much pressure that we put on ourselves, isn't there? And so much judgment when we least need it. (laughs) We're our biggest critics. Yeah, absolutely. So are you okay to go back to that day when the... Yeah, so you were travelling um, to work. You were going to Copenhagen, weren't you? And you're sitting having a coffee. Yeah, so I was the Brussels airport. I was travelling very regularly through the Brussels airport. It was uh, it was my gateway for work and also my gateway to come back to Australia if anything happened with the family. So it was home turf. My colleague and I were supposed to be flying together from Brussels to Copenhagen, and I was a little bit early so where all the check-in counters are. There was a Starbucks coffee. And in traditional form, there's a coffee bar out the front so you can stand there and drink your coffee. And I can remember taking a snapshot of my coffee cup, which I still have, because a friend of mine was going skiing. So I sent them a a picture of my warm coffee cup. And then a few minutes afterwards, the um, first bomb went off to my right. So I felt the air get sucked away because I had my earphones in because I'd been, uh, I listened to music quite often. And especially when I'm going through airports and it's early morning, you know, Got a bit of a vibe going. And but did you know that, straight away what you heard was a bomb? No, I thought it was a more a gas explosion because you don't think about it. You always think it's going to happen to somebody else. And because the air got sucked away and then the ceiling started to come down, then you sort of think, well, that's a bit bigger than a gas explosion. And then the panic starts to set in, uh, a lot of dust and... and um, the smell of pulverised concrete, it's got a bit of a sulfuric smell to it. Mm-hmm. And then by the time my my brain realised what was happening and I turned left to leave to go out the door, the second bomb exploded, which was a few metres in front of me in front of the, because where the Starbucks was is where the flipper boards were, you know, where you could see where your planes are. People had cleared out the way and he, he let the second one go. So that was directly in front of me. So most of the people that were around me at the time ha- were hit or um, had passed away. And because it was peak hour, there was a lot of people at the airport. So the, the Starbucks counter was quite full. And the gentleman on the right-hand side of me had, um, had shrapnel in his forehead and the gentleman on the left had passed away. Um, and I remember running out the door of the airport and still having my earphones in and I'm stepped through the glass door because it didn't open anymore and staring at the wall and and, uh, rang my mum and for the first time ever I called a mummy. She's in Australia, of course, though. They have no idea. And um, So straight back to being a little girl, it sounds like, wanting your mummy. Yeah. 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 And knowing that at the same time I didn't have any family I needed to worry about my my family in Australia were fine mm-hmm. and I, I felt extremely alone, yeah. like like hollow alone. Um, who's going to care about me if I go kind of question. 
And that was a really hard awakening, I think, just to know that nobody would come to rescue me, nobody would come and fetch me, nobody dropped me off or cared that I was, or not necessarily cared, but at that point in time. Nobody would know. Nobody would know. So I tried to hide because you don't know. You don't know if there's machine guns or if there's more bombs or whatever else not. I tried to hide behind a balustrade, one of those concrete balustrades, but there was a lady there cradling a baby and the look of sheer terror on her face. I thought, nah, you can have that balustrade. And I uh, went across the road to the car park. I'd rang my colleague in the meantime and he was fortunately still in the car park so he wasn't on the bombings I turned at, at the site. I told him to go home. I knew he had babies at home or young kids at home and he needed to be at home and not here. So then I went to the entrance of the car parks and saw people coming out of the airport and I thought to myself, all these people have been dropped off by people that they love and I'm going to see if I can help other people get out. And you didn't have any injuries despite people either side of you, one being killed and one being injured? No, nothing. I had my earphones in, so afterwards I realised I had deafness in my right ear, but I think because I had my earpiece in, Um, It saved my hearing and I had a hard shell suitcase in front of my legs which caught the shrapnel. But I only found that out afterwards when I went to collect my suitcase. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so I I gave that suitcase at the time to a perfect stranger and I said, could you look after it? I don't know why I think he would, but he did. And I went back inside so there's some footage of me running back in and, you know, you're getting phone calls from people that you know and they are are you okay? I heard there's a bombing, but it's that kind of distance question. You know, they don't really think you're ever going to be there. Mm-hmm. So I'm answering, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I think it only settled in days later. But your instinct um, was to go back in despite yeah, there could I, have been another bomb going off or there could have been more bombers and to help people. I just wanted to. I thought I've had a good life and my family are all safe. And if I can at least help people that might have, you know, more to give to the world than I would. I I even thought to myself, if I take my high heels off, maybe I can get to people faster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just wanted to, you know, I thought i got nothing to lose and everything to give. So I went back in and tried to help where I could and wasn't very successful in some cases and then came out and met they were on the park bench, so Mirko, Andreas and Elizabeth, who were all uh, quite injured in their own way, um, burnt and shrapnel and just tried to keep it a little bit warm for them. You know, ring their family first of all to let them know that they're safe and I'll try to keep them updated. Um, Andreas was 17 at the time, Mirko in his mid-30s, I would say. And just have, you know, check in with them, have a bit of a banter with them and hold them and look after them. And, um, you know, Mirko was quite burnt and being Italian, I told him he hadn't lost all his hair. So, you know, things like that, just trying to make life because the ambulances took so long to get there just to make them feel a little bit protected, you know. I was trying my best. So you just went into mother role really or guardian angel role. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, I just wanted to make sure they were okay, you know, and that their families knew that I was there with them, that they weren't alone, 
you know, because I felt so alone. I didn't want anybody else to feel alone. Um, and, you know, there was there's moments where, for example, there's a policeman that I, I got to help that day. He had unfortunately very severely injured legs and he remembers seeing me walking into the airport and I have a, a tattoo of a pocket watch on my arm and he said, well, I suppose it's not our time to die. And I went, no, not quite. <laughs> We're going to get through this. So he had some banter despite his, his wrecked legs. Yeah, and it's those kind of things, you know, and going back to the heart-happy moments, it's those kind of moments that I hang on to that try to get me through it, you know, the the sleepless nights and even five, six years on the, the dreams that I have and things like that, it's those moments that I know that I can at least make a difference, you know, for those people. I'm a mum. If I knew that somebody was with my 17-year-old and, and being with them, that's all you would want, wouldn't you? Well, I've become a, a surrogate daughter now, so we still have contact after all these years. Um, and, you know, it's nice just to see him and them doing well. You know, after all, what I've come to realise is the ripple effect of events like this have in the families, you know, and PTSD has different uh, shades for different people. Yes. Um, but I think... One of the reasons why I made so much noise afterwards and with the, because I have the Australian, I was awarded the Australian Commendation of Bravery and I carry that with And you say that very flippantly. Do you not feel that you were brave? No. I can hear that. You just say, I was awarded this thing for bravery. uh, It makes me uncomfortable because I don't feel like I deserved it. You could have walked away and walked to safety and your selflessness, you walked back in to help people that you felt were more broken than you in that moment. There were so many people more broken than me and so many people. And you almost said it in, in such a way, well, if this is my time to go, then I'm ending, am yeah. I end my life helping people? So it was more than selfless. I don't even know the right word for that. It is a martyr in some way. Yeah, I don't and know. And that makes think... you uncomfortable as well. <laughs> Do you know what? I think afterwards I got to look at it from a perspective of there's a there's a huge amount of noise and rightly so about the attention that, professional first responders get mm-hmm. and not begrudgingly but kind of in an uncomfortable way I accepted the commendation of bravery because I wanted to draw attention to those people that are the real true first responders the people that are at the car sites happen to be at murder scenes you know they're the ones that put the people back together and then go home. They're not injured, right, but they're stuck with all of this going on in their head and and in their heart and they're not picked up by hospitals or professional services. They don't get debrief sessions and things like that. So they they live with it in my case because I wasn't physically injured. I didn't go in the hospital list because I ended up making it home and, and, you know, continued to work. your injuries weren't visible, but it's clearly had an impact on you and your yeah. well-being and your and your mental health. But you don't get support. No. You're left out there. So, um, you know, having bring those attention to the people like me in that in that case where they're not they're not physically hurt. They haven't got a wound to show for it, but it's in their mind. You know. So again, I'm hearing you accepted the bravery award just so you could raise okay. awareness for other people. Yes. So it's absolutely. like. Annika's always down at the bottom of the list is what I'm hearing. <laughs> it makes me heart happy to know that I can help people. Yeah. yeah. That's important. And to be able to see people 
smile and enjoy things like Andreas, you know, he's doing really well at university and I can see it in his face that he's getting a kick out of it or, you know, my team at work, it's it's being able to see that people get something out of life, you know, that I can be a part of that. Part of that makes me happy. Yeah. So Very early on when I started my podcast series, I spoke to an Australian woman called Donna Thistlethwaite, which was yeah. very hard to say her surname, and she survived jumping off a bridge. It was going to end her life, and she has, I think, hope stands for hold on pain ends, but for her, she wants to help one person every day, and that's exactly. really what gets her through her day and gets her through life, just by putting it out there and helping others. And I guess when we step out of the picture of ourselves and look into the bigger picture, we're all connected really, aren't we? Oh, we absolutely are. And, and you know, just being able to shine a light on somebody or give them that moment where they can be proud of themselves or happy, you know, or enjoying the smaller things in life that, you know, that helps. We get so wrapped up in our own issues and concerns and stresses and COVID and sometimes it just helps to remind them or remind people that they are good, they deserve to be happy, you know. Don't forget to be proud. Enjoy that coffee. Enjoy that piece of cake. You know, it doesn't matter. You might not be here tomorrow. My favourite expression is you might get blown up by a bomb. You know, that's mine. <laughs> Enjoy today. <laughs> yeah, and you, you know that more than anyone. So how did it impact on you or, and does it still affect you? Uh, it does and it varies. So when I first came back to Australia, I found it very hard. I felt because I'd failed and had to quit my previous job, I found it very hard to be feeling like I could contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding the right doctors, finding the right employer, gaining regaining my confidence. And you didn't right have any emotional support at the time? When I when I decided to come back to Australia, no, I was introduced to the right doctors, so a GP and a, a psychologist, and they were my lifesavers um, because I didn't know what I was dealing with. It's not like a depression. You become hypervigilant to everything. It's like everything's turned at full volume. Going shopping can be a strain. The fireworks, my gosh, Australia Day fireworks is just bad news. So I didn't know what was going on. So finding these therapists and having the support of my family helped me to grieve my previous life and accept and cherish the new life that I have, Um, enjoying the the smaller things, building up my confidence um, and and regaining a different persona. I'm not, it's, it's not the same as I was before. I think it's better now. And going back to your unbroken, I'm a better person. I'm more vulnerable, more open, more caring in a way. Um, well, I think the care was always happy. there. <laughs> yeah, happy. Otherwise you'd never have gone back into the airport. You would have just walked on home. But, yeah. I couldn't do that. No, but I'm definitely happier now. Than, and for than... people that don't really understand PTSD, you know, think it's all in your mind. But if you hear a car backfiring or a noise, it's such a physical reaction, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely straight back there. It's it's within ourselves. Yeah, you can't help it because I, yeah. I call it. I'm just in the wrong place. Um, if I'm watching a movie or or a car backfires or fire or somebody will come up and go boo, I will literally pee myself yeah. because I'm just I'm just hang on. I'm just in the wrong place, and um, and I scare easy, probably more easy than most people. So PTSD, even though it's some years ago. 
it will always have an effect in your life. It depends on how you take it on board. Yeah. Um, See, and, I'm, and I'm much, know. much further down the road. So my trauma that I had was when I was only 13, so I'm now late 50s, and I really don't get affected by PTSD anymore. So I, I'm just putting it out there. You can get past it one day, you know, it absolutely. <laughs> it's different, yeah, and, and, and I'm sure I will. I'm sure the hypervigilance will die down and I'll be able to have a night's sleep that's not medicated and I won't have nightmares. Um, but I'm okay with it at the moment because I know why it's there and it's, and that's the difference now. And I, I think it's a way that the mind is just trying to make sense of everything because it's so out of our, our normal everyday experience and the, the flashbacks, it's actually a healthy thing even though we don't feel like it because it allows you to integrate your, your body and your mind really. Yeah, the, the flashbacks and smells and it's the exposure thing. You know, the, uh, my partner and I went for a weekend away on an, uh, and we had to go to the northern part of Australia so we caught a flight. Now, for me, it's been nearly two years since I've had to catch a plane because of COVID, So, which meant my exposure to airports had mm-hmm. sort of dimmed away. So for me, that was a bit of an anxiety like, oh, here we go. Yeah. you know, prepare myself, ear pods in. It's like, because every airport looks the same. Everywhere in the world, they all Starbucks look the same. in every airport, yep. Everyone. <laughs> and all the boards are the same, the smells are the same. You know, it doesn't matter. So that re-exposure or that allowing your brain to process that it's, that you're in the moment, that it's not what happened in 2016, but it's right now in 2021 and there's no bombs and everything's fine, you know re-exposing yourself to their situation so that you become more confident and comfortable is important. But, yeah, with aeroplanes, I just haven't been able to travel. So, But but that's it's very hard to ground yourself when you're caught in the grips of it really, aren't you? Yes, so music, so turning off one of the senses I found is, is important in that situation. So, you know, when you're watching a scary movie and you put comedy in your ears, it's not as funny, or music in your ears, it's not as it's not as scary. So... Going through the airports, but listening to music can dim down one of the senses so you're not so hot mm-hmm. in terms of uh, anxiety. That helps. Having the right people there that can make sure that, they've, that you're, they're supporting you through, you know. You, um, but, yeah, it's just having the right environment. And if you're not prepared for that, then that can be a bit of a challenge. And it's also interesting that you've become aware that you need the right environment because in the beginning we don't know what serves us what helps us you know it's real kind of trial and error really isn't it and sometimes it's two steps forward and one steps back I remember at one stage in Belgium I'd been through the airports a couple of times on my own and I thought you I can do this and I went through the airport I'm going through the check-in counters I've got the music in my ears and as I'm going along I feel like I'm on an escalator and plowing into the ground and the next thing I remember is I'd pushed a vending machine away from the wall and I was hiding behind it. I have no idea how I did it, but I was hiding behind the vending machine at the airport. <laughs> and this lady was using the vending machine with her with her child and she's tucked the child away and she's using it, she's looking at me, and she's just, I'm just going to keep using it. But, you know, that's about t- taking those two steps forward and one step back, you know, and and having the right support to get you through. So, yeah, it is, it's a learning curve, but you uh-huh. do get there. Yeah, so that's really, I guess, compassion for yourself. And I know you spoke about compassion now for other people has really improved. Um, a difficult question, maybe. What do you feel regarding the bombers, the people that planted the bombs? Nothing. Nothing. Sad. 
I went, I've been through phases where I was extremely angry. You know, I know that there was footage of them drinking coffee and then planning out where they were going to stand because there was three of them, but the third bomb didn't go off. And so I've been, I've been through phases where I've been angry, angry at the bombers, angry at the religion, angry at the government. But right now I'm, I just don't care. I don't, I don't want them to take up free rent space in my brain. And were they suicide bombers or? Yeah. 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 So I just such strong beliefs be able to do that to yourself is 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 hard to understand. And I'm thinking, how could you sit there and drink coffee knowing that you're going to kill number of people and injure and and how could you do that? And did you enjoy your coffee? Like I want to ask him, was that coffee good? <laughs> um, it is a very surreal thought, isn't it? It is, yeah. And that you know that really struck. But at the end of the day, I also look at it and go. They must have been tortured somewhere in there and their families must be tortured knowing that they were part of it. I don't know. But at the end of the day, I look towards the people that survived and the families that survived and and how they have taken, a lot of them have taken advantage of what's happened to reset their priorities, including myself, you know. Like I said, I was in Europe for 20 years. I had never intended on coming back to Australia. Um, and now I'm so grateful that I did. You know, I'm closer to my family and it makes a difference. So it's given me a chance to reset and I'm not angry. I'm not. That it is what it is. Another negative emotion for you to hold on to and they really wouldn't have any idea. No, and they're not going to know about it. So what's no. the point? So no. I'm, I'm, I prefer to live in today than yesterday. Yeah, And I'm, I'm similar to you. I've had a, a near-death experience and it, it completely altered my life and my outlook to life. I think, I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to live my life, you know, as, as well as I really can. So how did you get to what you call your happy heart? So for me, when, we, when I talk about happy heart, the first time I can remember really experiencing it, and I have a photo of it, I was sitting out the front of a coffee shop after the bombings. I was sitting out the front of a coffee shop in Belgium in the sun, reading the newspaper, a really good cup of coffee, and there was a beautiful little caramel chocolate sitting on, on the saucer. And it was just one of those moments where my heart just went, oh, like it could breathe, right? And I've sort of thought to myself afterwards, I have to try and find more of those moments because that's what got me through the day. You know, I could skip down the street for 20 minutes after that feeling happy, you know, because my heart could breathe. And so now I try to look for those moments, whether it's um, at work or, you know, if somebody's done really well at work or I can see their expression change or they, you know, come up with an idea or they've kicked some goals for themselves or you know, I come home or and something great has happened or the sun is nice or the food was great. You know, it's those small moments that sort of the more you can be grateful for, the more you can see them, the better the day becomes. So I'm a big fan of heart happy and the more of those heart happy moments where you can sort of appreciate it in that moment, um, yeah, it makes the days easier to get through. And you wouldn't have had this beforehand. You didn't seek yeah. the joy or look be grateful for all the, the little things which really are the big things we finally realise, don't we? Yeah, well, in the past it, it was just life. You just take it for granted. 
you know, you take it for granted that you can get on a plane and see your family whenever you wanted to. You take it for granted that the supermarkets have good grocery lines or whatever. You know, you just take life for granted. And now since then you can lose, I've appreciated you can lose that in an instant and it's not even anything you have any control over. So I'd much rather, you know, I don't want to die in a gold coffin. So I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to share it and make people smile. Yeah, it's not going to be great all the time, but as long as there's those few moments that I can hold on to, they get me through to the next one. Yeah, when I first started to speak myself years ago, I remember the very first time I spoke, there was a guy who was an ex-British Army soldier and he said to me, every day may not be good, but there is good in every day. And that, yes. it always, always stayed with me and I think that's really kind of conjures up what you're talking about, just look for the good in your day. There will be there, even if it's a shite day. <laughs> there will be goodness there. Yes, and it can be something simple like a good cup of coffee. Yeah. It can be something as simple as a thank you email or the sunshine or rain, you know, if it's been, you know, it just, it's on your perspective how you, how you take it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of looking for those for those moments. And I think one of the things that I remember Somebody, I think it was something that I'd watched on, on, um, on the internet at one stage about somebody saying that one of the th- the first things you can achieve every day is getting up and making your bed. Yes, and that just that whole and I just went, you know what? That is so true. That is an achievement to be able to get out of bed and make your bed. First of all, you're out. That's already success. And second of all, as you made it, you're not going to get back in it again. And to get but, back yeah. into a made bed at the end of the day is so much nicer than to get back into a messy <laughs> bed. <laughs> it is true, but just being able to get up is already success. Yes, so Absolutely. You know, to take it really second by second rather than day by day. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So I was going to ask one of the questions is it's changed. Has this changed who you are? But it clearly has given you a different outlook on life. Yeah, it absolutely has. It's um, it's appreciating the small things and family and just putting things into perspective. Really, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Today is today. You know, and, and we know and that I, and during wing tattooed on my back, so I can look after people forever now. <laughs> and we know that during COVID, Australia lockdown very seriously. You closed all your borders, and nobody was allowed in and out. What did that do? Did that shift things for you, or? Were you able yeah. to stay as grounded? No, it did shift and I think it shifted because even if though I've moved to Australia, I couldn't see my sister and I can't I couldn't see my mum. I haven't seen my mum in over a year. Mm-hmm. And she's in Australia. She's just living in Tasmania. So it has it did I did have to go through that whole anxiety, right? It's okay, we're still okay, you know, do the doing the right thing. Um, but in the beginning it was quite tricky because even though I was in the same country, I felt further away from my family than what I did when I was living overseas. But it's just, yeah, it's that hype of, I mean, everybody's has it. There'll be a couple of times where I've had a panic attack in the supermarket when they've announced that they were going to go into lockdown and people just run for the supermarket and all you can see is their eyes and it's just panic. Um, and that's pretty hard. You know, I still don't understand why they bought all the toilet paper. It didn't give you the runs. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same in the UK. Flour and toilet paper could not be seen. <laughs> no, it was, I don't know what the deal was with the toilet paper. but yeah, and People yeah. have got all this rotten flour now, that which I bet they never used. They <laughs> yeah, would have gone to the bottle shop or something, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting what fear does, isn't it? And fear can breed fear when we collective fear as well. It's how to stay grounded, isn't it, in all of that and how to just 
get back to you. Yes. Yep. And if it means changing your routines a little bit or becoming a little bit more of a hermit at home, like, uh, you know, I've enjoyed my backyard. I'm a bit over it now, but I've enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, just finding different things, you know, that change your routine up a little bit. Well, it certainly did that for a lot of us. Um, so just really before we sign off here, because that's, the time has gone by so quick, is there anything that you would left that you would like to say or any advice that you'd like to give to people that are listening in? Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Um, I found that really hard. People would say that to me often. Be kind to yourself. Um, but it's so true, you know, just remembering to do things that make yourself heart happy. Um, and don't put too much pressure on yourself to be successful all the time. It's okay to take that step back. It's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to fall back. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. Just be kind to yourself. Um, and I think in today's society, we, we often forget to be kind to ourselves. We're often quite happy to be kind to everybody else. Um, but being kind to yourself isn't as easy. Yeah, it's not as easy, but it's also about what I'm hearing you saying, allow all the feelings. It's when we judge them and put pressure on, I shouldn't still be feeling this, or why am I crying today? Why am I? So just allow and be kind. Yep, exactly perfect place to end so Annika thank you for staying up late for me over in Australia to speak to us I really appreciate it and uh, wishing you all the best unbroken healing through storytelling if you haven't already go on download subscribe give us a five-star rating it really helps us get this important and life-changing message out to as many people as possible there is already a selection of fantastic episodes to choose from and a brand new one coming soon unbroken healing through storytelling playing now on all the main platforms including apple podcasts spotify stitcher for android google podcasts amazon music and here play unbroken the podcast with madeline black